Hello, and welcome to Eyewitness Beauty, the podcast where we talk about the biggest stories in the beauty industry each week. I'm Nick Axelrod-Welk. And I'm Annie Craigbaum. What's going on? I think I'm addicted to walking. What do you mean? So Sunday, I had the whole day like blocked off, and I walked 26 miles. That seems um, like a compulsion. <laughs> I know. No, that's what I'm saying. I like have a problem. I'm not... <laughs> this is it. I'm not, I'm not like, I'm a, like, I'm You're addicted like, uh, to Netflix. I'm like addicted to yeah. chocolate. Like, no, I have a problem. And I was like, my, in fact, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. 26 miles. That I, like, <laughs> I'm waiting. I'm pretty sure one of my toenails is going to fall. <laughs> like 26 miles. Like, is your, what are like parts of your body like giving yeah. up on oh, you? My, I've never had pain in my lower back before. I was like, I should stop and get an Uber. I should really stop and get an Uber. But like you said, it's a compulsion. I just kept yeah. walking. Where did and you go? I went from where I live in Brooklyn it, across, to the, across the Williamsburg Bridge <laughs> up through East Village. <laughs> up, up, I, I was like, oh, great. I ended up in Times Square. I don't know how I ended up in Times Square. <laughs> then, I got, then I got to Central Park. And then I went up through Central Park to the top part, over to the Upper West Side, down to, to Tribeca. <laughs> that is so And then crazy. back across the Williamsburg Bridge and back home. And the whole time mm-hmm. I was like, this is going to be a nice Sunday. I'm going to stop at the, the first cute cafe I see and I'm going to get breakfast and, and like, you're by like, myself. No, the next, the next cute it's, cafe. That's what I did from 11 a.m. till 5 p.m. That is no, so crazy, Annie. I think I need to like see someone. I think so too. I think you have a couple other things you could probably talk to them about too. <laughs> like what? I don't know. I'm just saying like the walking seems like maybe like a symptom of a bigger issue okay but when monks do it it's like true so you basically walked a marathon mm-hmm. yeah. 26.2 miles i'm the picture of health <laughs> and normalcy <laughs> that's cr- i mean like what kind of shoes were you wearing my hoka one ones which i formerly pronounced as hoka one ones what are hoka one ones my friend zaina told me to get them they're like running shoes they're really the soles are super thick and they're Are really they like lightweight. rocket dogs. No, is that that weird brand that was at like Urban Outfitter? Oh, see, like we're this is when it becomes crystal clear that we're not of the same generation because rocket dogs were like the really really chunky flip flops and like Nick, sneakers. we're talking about the same shoes. We are. Oh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we're not that different. Um, but like, no, so I'm these are you like clomping around in like rocket dogs? No, that would be great. Then that I know that you've lost it. Yeah. And I was about to say, you, you've seen in New York those like rocket dogs on the side of the sidewalk, like some <laughs> <laughs> Or like a pair of rocket dogs like over an electrical wire. And you're like, how did they do that? They don't even have laces. <laughs> yeah. I'm like somehow where, where there's a will, there's a way. Mm-hmm. Well, so my week has been, thank you for asking, has been colored, <laughs> I was going to ask, but you like, that was literally coming out of my mouth. But. Has been colored by a viewing of the Blackpink documentary on Netflix. This might be a good segue for a little segment we like to call Arts and Culture. As I was saying, I watched the Blackpink documentary on Netflix and I knew like this, probably like most people, I knew the Selena Gomez song. I knew that they were a Korean pop girl group. I did not really understand, I don't even know how to put this, like the depth of the manufacturedness of them and like the the way in which in South Korea like the pop music industry has sort of created like a schooling system like a training and schooling system from like the age of 12 or 13 where they you know are constantly like enrolling and then eliminating girls and guys I guess for BTS and bands like that they're like basically it's boot camp for being a pop star. And it like they all seem really unhappy. I'm and like sad and lonely. And they don't seem like they're really able to like reap the rewards of like all of this work that they're doing on behalf of the record label, which like organizes the school and like the training camp that they go to. Let me talk to you about something. And called- like, can I say one more thing? Sure. Before you do. And then the thing that I found like very striking is like they are being sexualized and wearing these like super tight and revealing outfits, but like it's obviously not 
who they are because like when you see them in the documentary just behind the scenes they're all wearing like cardigans well that's the tension that k the k-pop world plays with a lot is this like idea that they are it's the same thing with like pop stars like britney spears it was like she was hypersexualized right. but you're supposed to think that then david la chapelle would shoot her like in a bra surrounded by stuffed animals i think it's like that same tension but i was about to say how is this any different from like elite sports in the u.s and all around the world I guess it's not, but like since I've I've like covered musicians for a lot of my career, and what I always found interesting about musicians as opposed to actors or actresses is that like musicians and their personal style are like very intertwined, and like their identity is is part you know it's their music, but it's also the way they present themselves. Versus like actors and actresses, like they're obviously always playing characters. At least this is like had been my experience in interviewing musicians versus actors. And what you, I saw with you think very highly of musicians. I will give no, you that. No, but I, I just thought that like they're, you know, like style is like the way you sing, it's the yeah. way you dress, it's sort of all related in a way. And with Blackpink, I, I just found it very interesting and a little like upsetting that we've like, you know, commoditized pop to like such a incredibly perfect level. Like these girls are 5'11. They are super, super skinny. They like are stunningly beautiful. They can't sing worth shit, but like they're auto tuned within an inch of their life. Really? No, that's not yes. true. No, yes. I don't know. They can bear, I mean, Nick, they can carry a that. tune. We can't say that. They like, remember when they shut down like the Trump rally? They're going to like, we're never going to have another episode again after <laughs> this. Well, here's what I think I think that they have beautiful voices and. It's like summoning the angels when they when they sing. And Ginny, Ginny actually, wrote, they write a lot of their own um, verses. Ginny's like my favorite. Like, well, Lisa is clearly the breakout. Lisa's, I think, supposed to be the best dancer. Ginny is the best rapper, but I think Lisa also raps. But it's like they literally like, it's like not like because she grew up loving rap and, and being inspired by hip hop. It's like they literally were in a room, like and in a classroom. And they were like, you speak, you speak English. <laughs> No, they were like, you're the rapper and you'll be the dancer and you'll be like, they, it's like, it's so arbitrary the way in which like these groups are developed. And then I was like doing a little bit of research and there's a lot of pain and a really pretty significant dark side to the K-pop world where like, you know, it'll be like a footnote or like a headline on Twitter that we'll see like, oh, this K-pop star committed suicide or something like that, which is horrible um but i didn't really really understand sort of how that kind of news would be related to the way in which these acts like come to be and i i've just been thinking about that a lot well i mean just this past week they uh announced that the i guess so blackpink is the biggest k-pop girl band right now i think everybody would agree to that yeah. The biggest K-pop boy band, I think, is still BTS. BTS. And they and they announced that their record label just went public. It's called Big Hit Entertainment. And it's going to make them all a shit ton of money. So I think that's good. We don't know how much... We, I, I think it's very opaque how it's set up with other groups in the K-pop world, like how they're getting paid. What I don't know what like music royalties are like internationally. Anyway, you would have to imagine it's probably not very like friendly to the artist if they're just no, like plucking them out the of these camps. Yeah, like the label is saying we're gonna make you a pop star. You'll get five percent, and they're like, okay, right, right probably. Right. I'm making that up. I don't know, but like I just found the whole thing a little chilling. My one other thing I wanted to talk about, and I'll talk about it very quickly because I realized that I just went on and on about K-pop, is my husband and I sat down to watch the David Letterman interview with Kim Kardashian, which just went on uh, Netflix. It's like part of his, and my next guest needs no introduction or whatever mm -hmm. that show is. Mm -hmm. Turns out Kim Kardashian is not that interesting. You're That's just now like, take. okay. I guess I thought. That's not a very interesting hot take, Nick. I guess I thought that, That's, um, like, that there was sort of, I know, but take. like, I thought it was sort of like low hanging fruit to say like, oh, she's boring or, or whatever. Like I thought there, you know, she's doing this law thing and she's been so successful and there's all these reasons why she might be, why there might be more than meets the eye. After watching two thirds of this interview, I don't think there's much more than meets the eye. <laughs> anyway. I have nothing to add. I think that, you know, um, I love Blackpink. I love K-pop. 
all K-pop. I don't think that they ever do anything wrong. And oh, I have the, I mean, to be clear, I have the album on repeat and I'm obsessed. My favorite song is, okay, my, but sorry to keep droning on about Blackpink. No, I'm really sorry. I just want to learn the, um, the dances because like choreography is huge for K-pop and super cute. And I would do that way before I would do a TikTok dance and I'm not a good dancer and I've sworn off dancing as an adult after I went to my first moves class which moves is like this very chic That sounds like something they do in like suburbia like to like no, get, no, no, get, no. get people the, moving No 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 this is actually this is top tier arts, arts and culture content moves it's like do you know Marissa Compatello the florist Yeah the chicest Tele, woman uh, in New York What's her Teleflora what's her Metaflora <laughs> Teleflora is like a <laughs> That's like one eight hundred flowers. Yeah, she would never. She's like the opposite of teleflora. No, no. She's, she's metaflora. It's metaflora. Metaflora. She's been on into the class. She's the kindest human you'll ever meet. She teaches the class with her friend, who I can't remember her name now, but they're both like incredible dancers. And it's all these girls, like photographers, stylists, like every cool she girl that you would be so intimidated by to meet in person goes to this class and they all dance together and they're all wearing like the hottest outfits. The dances are so cool. The music's cool. My friend Rebecca goes to it and she was like, you have to come. You'll love it. You love dancing and going out. It's like, yeah, I love dancing when I'm wasted, you know? Yeah. And I went and I was like, okay, there's like a hundred people in this class. I'm, um, by the way, this was pre pandemic. There's no way I can be the worst person in this class. You know, like, what are the odds? Statistically speaking, I can't, you know. <laughs> there have to be people below and above. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not, like, asking people to, like, make me feel better. I was the worst person. And they were like, some of these people have never danced in their life. Like, you know, they took, like, tap jazz ballet when they were seven. I'm like, great. I took it till I was 12. So <laughs> let's go. And you were still the worst? I, I was the worst. I was the worst. And, you know, the added pressure of being in front of, like, all these, like, beautiful, cool people. It's just, yeah. like, I didn't know I had low self-esteem until that day. Oh, well. Anyway, um, <laughs> do people want to hear about, like, what we promised them at the top of the show? <laughs> Should we Let's get do into it. top, top stories? stories? Great. Nick, your neighbor. Gwyneth. Oh, Gwyneth? no, I was talking about... Oh. <laughs> Is Gwyneth your neighbor? I feel like she lives in Brentwood somewhere. Okay. Nick Nick um, likes to talk about how he lives in Brentwood. So yeah, that's uh that's something I like to talk about. And you live next sorry, this is still a is little off topic. Pink? No. This is about how you took forever to tell me that you live next to the OJ house. Oh yeah. We live like literally I'll give people directions. I'm like make a right at <laughs> the house. <laughs> That Nicole Brown Simpson. I think that that's were murdered in. That you buried the lead on that. You're like, I live in Brentwood. It's great. There's Alfred Coffee. There's hikes. There's the ocean. It's uh, it's dark. Anyway, Gwyneth Paltrow's vaginal facialist. Are you following? Yeah. Nikki Schwartz, who is the practitioner and the I think creator of this vaginal steam treatment that Gwyneth uh, is a fan of that Gwyneth is notoriously a fan of she's the owner of the Tikkun holistic spa in Santa Monica which is right down the street she admitted to hoarding and then selling 20,000 N95 masks with the intention of well she hoarded them and then had the intention of reselling them at inflated prices this was reported in the Daily Mail and we're um, talking like these should cost I guess around a dollar 25 and she was selling them for up to $15 each. Yeah. She was selling them for 1100% over list price, according Which to the department of justice would be would total. Um, let's see if they are $15 each, you know, that's almost half of a vaginal steam treatment. <laughs> so, so she was charged in federal court with one count of hoarding and price gouging, and then she agreed to plead guilty to the misdemeanor offense. Matt Cosmetics is in the news for two reasons this week. Number one, not to mention Blackpink again, they just announced that Lisa from Blackpink is their new global ambassador. Number two, they also just announced a partnership with Postmates. And this, I feel like, goes nicely with this trend we've been seeing of all of these beauty companies partnering with these, you know, instant fulfillment systems. So like we saw Instacart last week, we saw ClassPass partnering with beauty salons. Now Mac is with Postmates. Where is everybody in a rush to get to? To where they need makeup delivered same day. I think these, you know, beauty companies don't 
know how to exist in this new reality. So they're just trying different things to see what sticks. I mean, Mac has a huge retail footprint, which I, I think know. is probably I a think big it's liability like, for them. I think they need to like figure that out in some leases. I think we're going to see a lot of Macs like shutting down. They need to go into Ulta. Are they yet? I don't think so. I mean, Mac, I love you guys, but you have too many stores. That's a hot take. What's your um, uh, favorite Mac product? Mm, spice lip pencil. Cute. What's yours? Honestly, you know, the single shadows. They're keeping the single shadow industry alive, and they do have a nice buttery formula. They have a shade that I bought when I was younger that I was like, oh, I'm an adult now, it was the shade Amber Lights, which is like a orangey gold, beautiful shade. Speaking of makeup and low-hanging fruit, Kylie Cosmetics, this is not news, but we just thought we'd talk about it because it just seemed, it's like, why haven't they done it yet? Kylie is launching her leopard collection. It's a leopard print-themed collection. And it's her like in a leopard cowboy hat with a leopard bikini on. The promo photos, to me, look like a trip to Joanne's Fabrics. Yeah. Like they were like- <laughs> or like a Project Runway like challenge. No, I think that that's giving it too much. <laughs> like the reason we actually wanted to bring this up is because there's a big problem right now in the industry and that is these brands with all this money to support people that have supported them are letting these photo shoots happen with no stylists no set design no creative direction it's all this like ugc stuff no makeup no hair or there might be like a mix of those people but not all of them and they look it's not good you're, of course, referring to the Kim Kardashian, was it Balenciaga? No, Givenchy. Kendall uh, and Kim. The lookbook that they did where like, there was an errant hair extension on the floor next to Kim Kardashian. We'll put it on Instagram. We'll put it on Instagram. But yeah, it's like this, I don't know what they're going for here. They had all these like major, major celebrities with huge Instagram followings. They're paying them money to do this. And they just had them like set up their phone on self-timer. And like they have like Kaya Gerber squatting in her family's entryway and like an $8,000, like, I don't know, dress. It's crazy to me. You know, it's clear that people are trying to get creative and we're seeing the They're trying to be cheap. That. Well, they can't. I mean, they're trying to avoid photo shoots with big crews. And this is what they've come up with. I don't think there's any excuse. It's like there's people in LA that can like come and... You can do remote creative direction. You can send them props to shoot with. You can, it's like, this has all been done. In fact, like, shout out to, um, I have a friend that works at a large beauty brand <laughs> that we both used. And they're having to do this. And I think they're actually doing a really great job without having to, like, be on set with people and, you know, like, coordinating influencer stuff to come out with, like, great, great, great photos. But I think that that's something that we actually, like, kind of honed for a really long time at Glossier was, like, how to get, like, quote unquote, really great, high quality UGC. Yeah. It was something I called leading the witness. We would oftentimes create our own UGC in-house and then our followers would learn to <laughs> mirror there that on go. their own channels. This is like a masterclass. I know. Should we be getting paid finally? <laughs> CVS. And I think this is actually a really cool story. And, and by the way, we should just mention that this has been a slow couple of weeks in the beauty industry in terms of news. And we don't know exactly why, because it's the fall. We think that things would be popping up left and right, but they're not. They're not. But anyway. There's not even any like, it's like all these YouTubers are at home bored. Why are, remember when we first started this podcast, it was all about Jeffree yeah, Star and James All Charles that drama. And, Everyone's been like getting along. No, I think that they all have legal <laughs> notices now to stop <laughs> talking about each other. Gag orders. Gag orders. So this news, I think, is kind of interesting. CVS has taken the step to label any images in their stores that are digitally altered as such, meaning that if a image from a brand is retouched, it will say that it's been retouched on the image, you know, like in the poster or on the kiosk. Okay. Which I think is super cool. I think that it's great that we're like making it much clearer to like the young people who are going through these aisles looking for makeup that this is not how, A, you're going to look if you buy this thing necessarily because this is not even how the model looks when she has this thing on. Mm -hmm. um, this is like the natural and good progression from, I believe it was in Europe where you had to actually apply the makeup product that you're selling in the ad. Like you couldn't, for example, you know, use a 
Dior show mascara if you were trying to sell a Maybelline mascara. Like, you have to actually use the Maybelline mascara. <laughs> I can't even believe they had to make a law for that. Are you yeah, serious? Yeah, because, like, yeah. Because it would be, like, false advertising. I mean, of course. But when did they create that law? Like, how recently were brands doing this? I guess it is kind of wild to think about what brands used to get away with. Makeup laws. I remember they used to... There was something similar with food when my dad was um, shooting commercials and stuff where the food had to be like X percentage, like actually edible because yeah. a lot of times like food styling, they'll, they'll use like crazy stuff to make the food look, you know, appetizing and it's not even a food product or the food product that they're selling in the commercial. It's interesting though. It's like, I wonder what they're considering retouching because there's a lot that you do in post to a digital image, right? Or any kind of image that is going to live on digital or elsewhere you know you might like adjust the coloring to actually be more accurate you might take a distracting thing out of the photo like a hair across her forehead or you know what I mean so I've always wondered a who's checking their work who's policing this and b like what are is it like oh this is fresh off the like memory card from the camera like on the internet I don't think that that's the case either do we have any lawyer listeners who would be able to help us weigh in? This would be a, a really interesting topic for a future episode because I think um, trying to understand like what where the line is on all of this stuff, like what is retouching and what is normal post production versus you know what is being able to like accentuate, you know, like Pantene ads, like obviously all the hair shots are all digitally altered. And now they say that in like small writing on the commercials. Like I'm just, I, I'd be curious to understand in better detail, like how all of those laws are put into action. And isn't it all kind of irrelevant when pe- real people are on the internet using these products without a lot of retouching anyway? Well, actually... Yeah, are they policing influencers that are like making a profit selling, doing affiliate links promoting these products in their photos that are like know. all snap, lawyers like, lawyers get at us or people that work in the post production at these brands get at us. Yeah. 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 Give us the goss. One final story, which is actually one that we were tipped off to when we appeared on Casey Wilson and Danielle Schneider's podcast Bitch Sesh, which was like a pinch me bucket list moment for me was that Zoom has created like a beta program where you can apply lipstick, eyebrows, facial hair to your appearance in your in your video box. And right now I'm talking to Annie and I have bunny ears and a bunny nose. Oh, I forgot is, that you even had that on. <laughs> but <laughs> what's really interesting about it is, and we're we're trying to get more information on, is like who created the lipstick shades, who created the eyebrow. I'm gonna need the shapes. digital design team at Zoom to Yeah. But reach now out. on Zoom, if you basically go to where if you're in like a Zoom conference call and you go to where it says stop video and you there's a little arrow to the right of that icon. You click on the arrow, you go to choose video filter and then you go to studio effects. Yeah, the new, it's a beta. It's a beta thing. It's actually not on everybody's Zoom cuz I tried it this morning with my other team and it's they didn't have it. Real? Oh, maybe you have to update to the latest version of Zoom. I don't know. Yeah. But you can basically choose your eyebrows, your mustache and beard and your lip color. You can choose the opacity. Yeah, Casey Wilson had a beautiful like what would you what would you call it? Like a she had like a faded poppy red lip, which um was quite beautiful and you can even choose the opacity of the lip, which is pretty amazing. So, do you like mine? Oh yeah, it's beautiful. You have it's like a nice little soul patch and uh mustache. I look there's a mustache filter on Instagram and I have to say I look really good with a mustache. <laughs> Don't you think? You should grow your I'm not out. even kidding. I think it's like if I were a guy with my same face shape and features, like I think I would I think I would have a mustache. You do have like a little sparkle in your eye when you have that mustache. It look, it it just makes the shape of my mouth it matches it my teeth. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't it know. Does. Um shall we conclude top stories and also talk a little bit about our exciting interview this week? Yeah, let's get into our interview with the one, the only Ben Gorham.
Ben Gorham, the founder of Byredo, or Berate, how did he pronounce it again? Byredo. That's the scoop. Yeah. We've been pronouncing Byredo wrong. Byredo. It's Byredo, right? That, I, I mean, that's what, what I heard. Sound like. Is that what anyway, you heard? we interviewed Ben Gorham on Zoom from his house in Stockholm. From his so bibliotheque. From his library, yeah. It was very chic. He's he's one of the best guys in the beauty industry that I've ever come across. He has been in business for quite a long time with Byredo, and now he makes everything from, obviously, fragrances to candles to leather goods to handbags to shoes to blankets to sunglasses. He's making everything. And most recently, the reason that we talked to him was makeup. They're making makeup by by Rita. Isamea French. And it launched and we talked to him, what, a week after it launched and got his take for how it's going. And it sounds like it's going very, very well. Here's the interview. So, I mean, I feel like part of, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like your process of getting inspiration has been traveling the world. Like you're always moving. What has it been like to be in one place, Stockholm, since January in terms of your creative process? Well, it's, it's here. All the books. It's been different. I mean, it's been reading and it's been listening. Um, but it's also been like, it's, it's allowed me a period of, I would say, great focus, which since founding the brand 15 years ago, almost, I don't think I've had. You know, my job is partly making smells, but it's also making objects and it's also designing packaging and websites and being in the studio for that length of time has has helped me a lot, I think. What have you focused on particularly? I spent a great deal of time on taking a step back and looking at all the stuff we've done. And also one of my obsessions over the last few years has been relevance. How do you create a, a brand that stands the test of time and that grows slowly, but still has a a level of relevance throughout. So I think, you know, that, uh, you know, deep diving into social media and youth culture and different generations and, you know, my kids listening more to my kids. I think that's been, you know, just really trying to make sure that the narrative of this brand and the evolution of this brand, uh, um, stays relevant. How old's your oldest now? She's 11. Oh, wow. What does she tell you to do? Uh, she doesn't tell me to do much, but I see the behavior. I see their, their behavior on social. I see this social construct in which they live in, which is quite different from you know how, how I came up. And I think at the same time, they're in this very virtual world. And they're on these phones and they're on these platforms. And uh, at the same time, she has this extreme need for very tangible experiences like physical activities and seeing real things and also meeting her friends. So I see these polar opposites uh, in her life, which is quite interesting. Whereas I was thinking, let's just find a balance. But for her, it's like those two worlds exist as one. And that's quite interesting. Seeing your your daughter grow up and experience sort of like a social life, a social media life, and then a real social life. Like how are you, how can you apply that to Byredo? Continue to focus on the products. I, I truly believe if you make incredible products that have a reason for being that, that you know, they'll be around and they'll be uh, applicable to, Young people, old people, everything in between. I, you know, continue. And that's part of the original, you know, f- formula somehow with this extreme focus on, on the products and the, the quality of the products. The other one is getting more into the visual communication of the brand. You know, it's taken a back seat to the, this craft of making products for many years. So I've started to focus more on that, what, what that language should and could be and, and, you know, also in relation to who we're speaking to, to my, um, not to be surprised, but we have a very young following still, and they're not my daughter's age, but they're relatively young. And I think being more in tuned with how they speak and, you know, the, the tonality of how they speak, especially on these social channels, I've kind of gotten more into that to create more of a dialogue 
than maybe we have before. So I, at Glossier, we launched um, a fragrance on like when digital is our biggest channel. And I know like digital is increasingly becoming the you know most important thing <laughs> for, for brands, especially now that stores are overwhelmingly closed. How do you approach marketing like a fragrance online? I think it's kind of kismet that you your makeup collection came out during this time because it's a much easier sell on social. I agree. It's a good question. And it's the, to, to be honest, it's the eternal challenge is we call it the smell screen barrier you know because it's uh it would suggest that it's a product that you can't sell online um but as you probably saw at glossier and, and which we've seen you find other ways to communicate a smell and you know the names of the fragrances have been very important for us but also descriptive component you can actually describe a smell through words and and through images and then smell being so subjective, it's always going to mean something different to somebody. But that was also part of kind of the initial approach to selling this product was to, to tell a story that evoked smells and memories and emotions within people. Uh, and if we did that well enough, people engaged with the product. The other one is maybe a little bit more you know, practical, but sampling, you know, giving people the opportunity to order samples. I'm a huge advocate for you know, getting people to try fragrances and wear fragrances before they commit or buy. And that also taps into this long sale of the products. Uh, and even our stores have kind of had that function for people to come and learn and try and, and then go home and then hopefully come back and, and buy something that... Uh, that resonates with them. So now at this point, when this interview will go live, the makeup collection, your first makeup collection will have been live for a week and a half, two weeks. What are you seeing so far? It's literally crazy. I, I, I started uh, imagining that makeup could be a, a pillar or even just a facet of, you know, by Rito probably five years ago. And then I ran into some challenges, partly because I'd never worn makeup. And I had a hard time you know, relating to the category emotionally. And I put that project on ice. And it wasn't until you know, I met or well, initially saw Isamaya's work probably three years ago that I understood that I needed somebody with that expertise and that point of view to help me realize this project. And for the last two and something years, we've been working on, on that. So it's you know, like all kind of lengthy development projects there's a great sense of like uh, relief when you can bring the product to market and then go into this frantic mode of trying to understand connects to people or not and fortunately whether it be this you know circumstances of you know where people are right now and how they are and or the fact that what we put together actually relates to, to not only people, but also to the brand and translates quite well. It's been, you know, phenomenal, probably a greater success than anything we've launched over the last few years. So I've, I've been a bit surprised, but, you know, very happy and, uh, and grateful that, that people are trying the product. It's funny, like you talk about like the, like not being able to connect to the emotional aspect of makeup. And I had like a similar experience when like Glossier was in development, like just sort of saying like, is this is not going to be something that I'll ever really be able to like emotionally, you know, channel and market and talk about and brand because it's not something that I intuitively feel connected to. Was it, you know, and your brand particularly is all about emotion and your memories and at least the, the origins of the brand and the first fragrances you launched with were all about your memories and, and sort of like the ways in which fragrance can remind you of things. So, I mean, was it just about bringing Isamaya French on to sort of be your co-explorer in this project or, or did you find other ways to kind of like connect to the product development process? You know, I, th I think she played a, a really interesting role because she brought obviously a a very strong vision. And, and that was partly, you know, why I wanted her on this project. But she also, you know, kind of held my hand and she became kind of the, the mentor. I was part of this process and I think, you know, having a hard time relating to it emotionally, that changed throughout because, and maybe not in the 
you know, first person like wearer type of appreciation of something, but just being able to look at something and say, that makes me feel something. And that's beautiful. And that's interesting. And, and, and I think I got to that point. She helped me get to that point relatively fast. And that's when it became really, you know, really interesting because then I could start talking about the emotions that I was trying to capture. And that's when the, the partnership became very effective. So yeah, it's, it's different. It's different now than it was for me when I started. And I think it's opened my eyes to kind of a new world. And it's been just over this first week and a half, even just on social media, seeing how people express themselves through these products is very interesting. And that's what essentially what we wanted. Are you seeing a ton of new customers to the brand? Yeah, definitely. A lot of new customers uh, and also uh, a tad bit younger. And that may be because of the, the social media component that it, it translated very well content-wise to social media. Mm -hmm. The mascara is pretty fucking good. Awesome. It's really good. Yeah. I had to get used to the to the wand shape. But yeah, it's uh, I mean, even just that, <laughs> you know, we, we started the process and, and, you know, as a company, there's something amazing with like starting a new category or starting something that, you know, absolutely nothing about because you see only possibilities. Yeah. And that's a great feeling. That's and that's something I recognized from when I started, you know, by Rito, you know, you know, nothing and you and you're like, this is amazing. We can do whatever we want. And one of the things that was important were these extensive blacklists of, of ingredients that we didn't want to use. So we started in that end with this, with our own kind of idea of, of what clean cosmetics could be. And then having to fill that. And at the same time, Isamaya's very technical threshold for what, even in relation to, to the wand, which is tiny on the mascara, that was something mm -hmm. she was animate about. Yeah developing because she felt that it had a lot of technical benefits for applications. Mm -hmm. So some of the initial challenges were like, we had a clear idea of what not to put in the makeup. She had a very clear idea of performance and we had to get the suppliers to kind of fulfill both those. How did you form an opinion on what is clean for you? Because we, it's something we talk a lot about on the podcast that there's no regulatory body around the word clean so no. every brand is kind of making the decision for themselves so it's interesting to hear that it was really important to you guys for sure i you know i have a great team that's the other thing Th this project was more than Isamai and i you know in a lab i have, I have a great team in paris at byrito that have you know built this out and, and you know in relation to, to your question there are regulatory bodies not that define clean but define what you know legally can't be in in cosmetic products eu has legislation for that the fda i guess as for the us but they're pretty loose yeah. uh so i think it was you know we did a lot of research and i mean we work with we work with with fragrance we work within something called ifra and ifra's approaches is also quite stringent in that if there's a questionable raw material that's posing questions about hormonal changes or carcinogenics, or even if it hasn't been concluded that it's bad, uh, if it's on, if it's being questioned in a number of markets, we, we put it up on that blacklist. So we, we exercise uh, a certain level of, of caution. EU standards are so much more stringent than us standards anyway, for cosmetics and skincare formulations. So you're already Definitely. a step ahead. And we felt that they weren't stringent enough. So our, our blacklist went, you know, beyond that, which I'm happy we did. And, and to be honest, I don't think it was a, there wasn't a big question internally if we were going to or not. It, you know, that again, launching a brand now or launching a category now, you have to look at, at the now. You know, uh, and we can afford to do that. It's. I think it is more difficult for Mac to go back and reformulate eighty percent of their products. So uh, again, that's you know one of the advantages with being small and being new, as you can approach it in a different way. It's also yeah. interesting. I I can't believe it's been fifteen years since you 
had the brand. That's wild. There's, there's some grays in here. <laughs> but like that, what's, what's interesting about 15 years is I don't, I don't know technically what makes a generation, but like the people who started with the brand 15 years ago are much they look different. like me. Yeah. Right. And but like, what's cool, what's cool is that there's still customers. I mean, a lot of times like your initial like customer base kind of graduates out of a brand or, you know, moves on, but you've really kind of like created something that's very sticky that people care about and feels more, I mean, the, your fragrances are kind of like, they're so, they're almost like their own little mo- moments in culture, the way people like are obsessed with burn- burning rose and loose lips and it's Thanks. like almost even your photo on Into the Gloss has become kind of this like this joke in the office. It's like anytime we had a men's grooming or wellness anything story, it's like the photo of Ben in bed without a shirt on had to go. <laughs> that was an odd picture, and the how long that that picture haunted me. Emily saying, "Take your shirt off, take your shirt off." You know, she was shooting stuff herself at that point. I'm like, I changed my approach to the press. But, um, but it's interesting to stay relevant for two different demographics. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I don't know why I made it about that photo. <laughs> no, no, no. You're good. We got that out the way. You know, I think cadence is one. You know, I think we live in a in a world where through digital, through, through financing, uh, you're able to grow companies really fast. And I think I aspired to like luxury brands like Hermes and even LV to a certain degree, you know, when I started and, and I really always considered the long game. And I think that made the, uh, that gave us a certain level of sustainability as a brand that paired with this, uh, you know, obsession of, of being relevant, which I think a lot of brands uh, have a hard time doing is uh, you know, maintaining customers, getting new customers, tweaking your approach to, to things always. Um, I think that's probably been, you know, the formula. Uh, and then, you know, just when I think I have it all figured out, you know, we launch makeup and then it opens up a whole new world and a new demographic. And that's the way I, I you know, I dreamt it would be. And I'm, I'm you know, I'm very happy that, uh, that we're able to do that. Relevance is something that like I am obsessed with too. And just like being able to be a part of the cultural conversation, whatever that conversation is, is important for any brand that's going to be successful, whether it's like channeling the zeitgeist or informing the zeitgeist or being able to like predict sort of like how things are going to go. Was there any moment during the COVID sort of crisis and then also the the reemergence of the Black Lives Matter movement that made you sort of figure out like, okay, we need to we need to change this. We need to sort of change course. We need to reflect what's going on or, you know, be a part of, of the different cultural conversations that are specific to like right now. Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, Black Lives Matter was a, was a big deal for me because I grew up, you know, half my life in America. So I dealt with like the, the race thing early. I went to an all black high school. I played basketball most of my life. I grew up in like, you know, in Europe, uh, you know, being chased by skinheads at age seven, I dealt with racism in like many forms. And I think with America, you know, not living in America for 15 years, it, it gave me other, you know, I'd, I'd, uh, gave me another perspective on race and social, you know, structures that exist. I think I was very happy to see traction in the movement and it reached a really interesting point which was people couldn't afford to not say anything, you know? And, and I can't remember in, you know, my, my 43 years that there's ever been that point where like on the individual, but also on, you know, the corporate level, you had to take a stance and it became very clear, you know, who, who cared because saying something was one thing and then, um, but then doing and then showing and, and also internally looking at, you know, what companies were actually doing. It changed, you know, even in turn, I'm not going to say that, you know, we're perfect in any way, because that question is, is complex for many reasons, but we have a great deal of diversity in the studio, in the rest of the, you know, in my China office or in my Tokyo office or, or even, you know, even in my New York office, I, you know, 
I thought we could have done better. And it allowed me to, you know, be able to come out even in a board capacity and say, you know what, we're no good here. And people were listening in a different way. I do believe that there's been a great shift of momentum. And I, even though things may, social media may, the narrative may fade to a certain degree, I think there will be major changes that come out of this that are, you know, really important. So you mentioned you're on the board of Byredo. So can you kind of explain, because I know everybody knows you as the founder of the brand, but recently it's been acquired. So can you kind of help just from like a consumer standpoint, people understand what your current role is? Yeah, well, you know, I, I founded the brand uh, and I brought in a group of uh, investors 15 years ago, which was great. And they, you know, they helped me build that first phase of, of the brand. And then I started to realize that we needed more money to be able to sustain and especially this long-term vision, you know, it was, it was costly and also needed competency to a certain level. So that seven years ago, I partnered with a family out of San Francisco called the Fisher family. And they stepped in and, and they bought a majority, which most of that were the other shareholders. So I, I stayed on and that became my new partner. Uh, it was less about selling the company and more about getting a new partner to help support the further development of the brand and we still work together so members of that family on the board and then uh, we have some external non-exec on that board as well and then i'm on there so i you know i'm my title is creative director but i'm still an entrepreneur and i'm still involved in pretty much every facet of uh, of the business you can also tell because you have so many, you've expanded and been able to sort of incubate so many different categories and products. I knew as a fan of yours and someone who's known you for a while, like I knew that you were interested in leather goods. I knew that you were interested in handbags. In I knew that you made throws because Nick has one in his guest bedroom and I've slept there. Oh, several times. <laughs> but, I, I, but I didn't realize quite the range that you actually have created. There's seemingly fine jewelry, now there's makeup, there's like fragrance, leather, eyewear. Uh, fragrance holders, eyewear. When you say you're still an entrepreneur at heart, is that kind of where you express it in, in opening these different categories? Yeah, but, you know, also looking at our sales manual, also being part of, you know, the hires in the different markets, looking at distribution strategies, working on communication, marketing, looking at cash flow. I still do this. Do you enjoy that part of the job? Because it's like, oftentimes when people think of like, oh, I'm going to be creative director of a brand, they want to like, you know, bow out of all of the more <laughs> non-creative aspects or the more businessy aspects. It, it, in all honesty, it was the idea, but I think the, the vision was very specific. I think I started to understand that I... Uh, I needed to be a leader in all parts of the business. Not to say that I don't have very talented and very competent people, you know, in each division. But as as an entrepreneur, you also bear this kind of responsibility of tying it all together. And I think as companies grow and brands grow, you want to make sure that people are aligned and that you're all pulling in the same direction. And I think that's become very much my role today. Uh, and that forces me to understand enough about what everybody's doing in the company it's tedious at times and yeah would you know what i love to sit in a in my studio and just dream up creative stuff yes but i'm also hugely competitive and when i look at the you know why i found this brand a big part of it was just to compete i would look at brands like chanel and be like i can be that big or that good or that popular and i still have that i still have that kind of chip on my shoulder you can take the guy out of basketball but you can't take the basketball out of the guy i love that i agree and i i still do our international meetings i still lead with a picture of of michael jordan i was gonna say he's like my my total inspiration watching that documentary the fact that he's like motivated by grudges i'm like this is so finally somebody's validating my (laughs) it's healthy to a certain degree you got to make sure you know I look at a lot of those people that are truly the best in the world at what they did. And the only 
dilemma is that you can't really be a nice guy. So I try, you know, in my older age, I've tried to find like a balance. I don't want to be an asshole. I want people to be happy at work. I want people to grow. I want there to be like a healthy culture in our company. And I think, you know, that's the trade-off sometimes. But I think you can still compete with that in mind. So what's your next goal? My next goal is makeup. I got to kick some ass in makeup. I mean, making noise is not so hard anymore. It's like pushing through and then sustaining. So uh, launching makeup was a milestone, but you know, building a, a makeup business is what I'll be uh, along with you know, developing the fragrance business. It just in what you guys were mentioning about like all these categories, just to clarify, I have, I've always had like great creative ambition, but by Rito in my mind is a beauty brand. And I think it becomes more clear with the launch of makeup. All these other projects are almost like byproducts of the creative process, the, the beauty process. There's a lot of interesting bars uh, that I use to realize other products. Uh, and those products allow me to speak to even more people. So I'll continue doing those, but I'll also be clarifying you know, the vision of Byredo as a beauty brand. And today I still want to do skincare, another project that's been on my mind for many years. So I'm trying to pace myself now. The first question I had when Annie got the products were, were they scented, the makeup? And she said that they were. What is the scent? I didn't want to get into, I mean, I obviously had the option to innovate that part of it, but I didn't want that to overshadow like, the color and the textures and the formulas of the makeup made something that was subtle and something that I felt related to old and new. I still wanted them to smell unique. So we made something that became like the makeup smell. How do you describe it? Probably fresh, violety, you know, with a touch of fruit is probably, I mean, it sounds super like teenage when I describe it, but it's, it's very sophisticated you know, in our spectrum of smells. Simple, but still using extremely beautiful raw materials. Violet is one of my favorite, like, notes in fragrance. It is nice. I mean, violet and makeup was, you know, very distinct, you know, with, like, our, our mother's makeup, you know? So, so I still wanted there to be a touch of that of familiarity. Violet's beautiful. That's the part of the fragrance business that I look at that it's endless in terms of, you know, products and smells that can be realized and developed. And that, again, that brings me to like, I can never understand why people aren't innovating that space more. What's your take on the industry as it is now? And where do you think they should be innovating? In the fragrance space, I think it has evolved a lot. And I think even the fact that brands like Byredo could excel in the marketplace showed that, that, you know, there was a huge shift in and what people wanted. But I think these brands need to keep creating unique products. I think it's more about that. I think there's too much stuff in the market that smells the same. And I think they're still using focus groups and they're still looking at the first 12 months. We have some fragrances that we launched 10 years ago that are starting to pick up. That's interesting, I think. That happened to Terry Mugler Angel too, didn't it? I think it had been on the market for quite some time and then like randomly in like the 2000s, it like shot up in popularity. Yeah. And, th- and that, that fragrance is one of the few, you, you know, historically that was completely unique for its time. I mean, it was like a chocolate note. It was completely different from everything that was having commercial success at the time. And then with the success of, you know, that shift, then everybody made a, a fragrance that smelled like Angel. Part of what's, I think, a benefit to being an indie brand like your brand is that you don't have executive, seasoned executives saying, oh, well, this will never sell in Asia or the Middle East needs this or, you know, like... Or this like is America loves gourmand, like which I think that. is I the funniest. Say, <laughs> I have people saying that all day. I mean, there are <laughs> not do. so many... Yeah, but we could just disregard it. I think that's the beauty of it when you have, you know, creative control. And also that we've proven that we don't have to take that route. And I, you know, I think even with color, 
it was easy to see in the marketplace what shades and colors commercially did really well. But I think half of the the hack is just to be different. If you want people to look at you, just be different. And I think with with color, with Isamaya, it became quite clear uh, in the beginning that we were going to do something different and we were going to allow her the creative space to do interesting products. Is there one standout product in the makeup collection that you feel like represents the sort of innovation of the line? I think the color sticks, I mean, the multi-sticks kind of exist, but I think it's like, non-dictating open source here's 16 colors with endless combinations that you can wear on your lips or cheeks or eyes that consider you know all skin tones the, the color sticks were the the one thing that people were advising me might not do well commercially because it was a lot of color and it had, you know, endless possibilities, but it is one of the things that, you know, essentially sold out first online. And I was very happy to see that. And, and even just in terms of content, people were trying them and using them in different ways. And I think that, you know, it's not a huge innovation, but I think the way that it was presented as these tools to express yourself, I think resonated with people. And the other one is just even just packaging, you know, for fragrance, Every, when I started, everybody was doing extremely expressive packaging and bottles. And I, again, just to be different, to go to something that was static or homogenous or generic in, in nature, uh, still well executed and still tactile and still well made. But that same bottle with the same labels for these different names was quite different at the time. And when I looked at makeup, everybody was using the same packaging. So I thought when I watched primarily women use makeup, they, you know, these were intimate objects that they carried with them often in purses. And, and I felt that we should take the time to design beautiful objects. So I, I think even with the packaging, we tooled everything and I designed everything. And Isamaya had this notion of curated color. I wanted the objects to look like a curation of, of different objects. So it wasn't about creating a system. Yeah, I think that that's the freshest way to do branding. I've like talked about it a lot with my partners. It's especially being digital first brand. It's like when everything looks the same, it's really hard to get people's attention, you know, scrolling through their feed. So I see like companies with this really like homogenous branding system where everything's in like, I don't know, like a dark brown glass with the black lid or whatever. And you lose so much like opportunity to market your product because people are taking photos of the packaging all day long. So I think it was really smart what you did with the different form factors and the weird colors. <laughs> Thank you. There's more to come. You know, there's great products coming at the end of this year. And then we've done the, the calendar for next year too. So, and I kind of like, again, like a reference to cadence. What, what's nice with makeup is that it requires a bit of a higher rate of launch. Do you wear the lip balm? I wear the lip balm. That's what, I, that's what I'm going to order. Uh, we're going to send you that. No, I'm going to buy it. Yeah. It's like, I'll buy the lip balm, but if you could send, send you me um, four <laughs> candles, two fragrances, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one bag. <laughs> Nick, I'm kind of disappointed. All these years, you don't reach out enough to get Byredo products. I'm no, I don't. I'm starting to think you didn't like them anymore. No, I love them. I you still have like Baudelaire. Right. I still have Green. I'm an old school, an, uh, a, a sort of iconic Byredo fan i think both of those have been discontinued no are you kidding <laughs> oh my god you, i was so sad you did away with the soap hold on hold on you got rid of green i got rid of green wasn't that inspired by your dad yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a sign <laughs> i know that's that that's that competitive cutthroatness it's yeah cutthroat. it's not performing get get rid of it <laughs> no you get you know you build a brand and a company and you you know, it's, there's some, you need to rationalize. If you, I, I realized that if I want to continue creating perfumes that, you know, I couldn't stockpile, you know, everything that wasn't moving fast enough. So I needed to edit a little bit. If it doesn't serve you, let it go. Yeah. You know, kill some of your darlings. It's hard, <laughs> but you know, it's, uh, it's part of it. So what should I try? What, what are your like favorites in the line right now that are like unique and special? I wear one called Palermo. It's probably the only one I 
I wear really, and it's a it's another one that doesn't sell well. So I'm going to get you on for that one. No, but because I wear it, I you know it's it's exempt. It doesn't get discontinued. <laughs> I'll send you that and a few uh, a few other ones to try. There's some new ones that I'm excited about. Awesome. And then skincare. The I guess the big question, and this is a little maybe insight into like skincare Twitter and like the conversations going on there. Oh, I that know where you're there, going. <laughs> there's a huge controversy around fragrance in skincare. And if you know, Rihanna launched Fenty Skin a month ago, and there was an enormous amount of backlash about the fact that she had fragrance in the products and that she had sort of said that it was for sensitive, you know, that was appropriate for people with sensitive skin. There's a big Twitter community and Instagram community who feel that any kind of fragrance is irritating to skin. What's your feeling on fragrance and skincare? I think, you know, what you can do, and and I don't think it's necessarily that all fragrances irritating to skin. There are fragrance raw materials that don't have allergens. So you can actually make a smell that's completely allergen-free. So I think uh, because what people don't understand also is that the ba- a lot of time the active ingredients and the bases of skincare really smells bad. So you end up putting stuff that smells bad on your skin all day. In my mind, you know, I wouldn't sell anybody anything I wouldn't put on my kids. So that'll probably help guide me when we get to that chapter. I love it. So people can find you. You're you're pretty active on Instagram. You you didn't used to be, but now now you're you're on it. Byredo's a little bit more active. But you're so huh? it's at official Byredo? Official Byredo. And at Bangorum. Yeah, that's more of like, you know, the the traditional self-promotion. <laughs> what extreme sport are you doing now? I cold water surf. Cold water surfing. I surf, I climb, I ski tour, Do you wear trail a run. Uh, it depends on I mean, what sport we're talking about. Yeah, all of them. People, people, people don't wear helmets when they surf. Nick. Oh, they should. <laughs> You're in California now. <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's, I don't know, maybe a little bit of like the, the mid-age uh, issues, but like back to nature and rediscovering all those those places. We used to be, our circuit used to be, you know, Paris, London, New York, Milan. Now it's like the Alps or skiing in Japan or surfing in Alaska. You know, I get to see, I found it a completely different way to travel, which is awesome. Yeah. I think Nick was freaked out by the hooded wetsuit. He was like, what is this sport? <laughs> it's not super sexy, but the water is fucking cold. <laughs> you need the six millimeter wetsuit and it's got to cover most of your face. But and, those are like uh, those are the new brands that are going to be like the next Rafa. You know what I mean? Like it's going to be those like hooded sweatsuit brands or hooded uh, water <laughs> water suits. What are they called? Wet, wet suits. Wet suits. <laughs> so now is the time that we've all been waiting for, which is product of the week. If I sound a little muffled, it's because I'm wearing my product of the week, and I know last week. I talked about a disposable face mask, and I'm sorry for those who were offended by this idea of a single-use face mask. To make up for it, this week I have a face mask by a company based out of actually Malibu, California called Variant, and I'm going to take it off so you can actually hear what the fuck I'm saying. (laughs) His headphones just shot off his head. (laughs) And now he's struggling with the wire, and now... Oh, still struggling... It is a company called Variant Malibu, and they are 3D printing these face masks, which are super comfortable. They're breathable. They come with replaceable filters that you can slide in, and they're sold online for $29.99. And I like that, obviously, it's reusable, but also... I've been working out with it and doing pretty intense cardio stuff. And it's, it's much easier somehow to breathe in than one of those like blue disposable ones. And I love it. Variant Malibu. It is called the VL-M1. It's really cool. It's a washable 3D knit mask that's super comfortable, that kind of fits to your face and has these, uh, has like a pocket for a disposable filter. So you can p- replace the filter, throw it in the wash, Workout in it, run in it. And 
I know like I'm a little late to the party, but like masks are <laughs> now a part of your outfit. So it's good to have one that you think looks a little cool. And this one does. You look a little like Hannibal Lecter. I mean, like it's, it's but, making the best out of a bad situation. But that, that's probably like a hot look when you're working out. Yeah, right? it's cool. I like it. A lot of people in LA are starting to wear them. And I feel like it's a good investment. What's your product of the week? My product of the week is a drugstore product. And I think everybody should run out and buy it because it is like nothing I've ever tried before. It is Vaseline's Intensive Care line, and it's called their Deep Moisture Vaseline Jelly Cream. And it's the consistency of like your dream lotion. It's in a tube. It's a white, opaque cream. And it smooths on super easy. Where do you put it? My legs, my arms. So it's like a body. body. It's a body Oh, yeah, cream. yeah, okay. body, body. You know, fragrance-free, it has Vaseline jelly in the formula, but it's like emulsified like a lotion. And you do feel like you put on like a rich moisturizer, but it doesn't just sit on top of skin as if you, you know, were to like put on like a heavy greasy moisturizer or if you were to put on like straight up Vaseline on your body. And so, yeah, I use it at night and it's a, what's the word, occlusive? Yeah. Which means that it doesn't, my understanding doesn't absorb it's it, yeah it, it kind of it seals the, in yeah. the moisture that you already have and so you know if you lose a lot of moisture which we I think we're all kind of doing right now because it's changing seasons it's you're going indoor outdoor it's cold hot sealing everything in especially for before bed is like super important so and it is 379 on target.com and it has 121 five star reviews so i guess a lot of people do <laughs> at least some people know about it and love it. So it's really great. Oh, and you know you know who um, hypes them? Our friends at the National Eczema Association. Really? Yeah. So it's like a, it's a very safe, very basic, but amazing cream. Yeah. White petrolatum at 30% is its active ingredient. Which is not, I mean, like people have an issue sometimes with petrolatum because it's a, it's a petroleum derivative, and I'm just looking on the safecosmetics.org website, which says to avoid petrolatum unless it's properly refined, in which case it has no known health concerns. And the proper way of refining it is actually as white petrolatum. So you're good. Mm, thanks. Thanks, Mom. No problem. That's it for this week's episode of Eyewitness Beauty. Thank you so much for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at eyewitnessbeauty or write to us at hi at eyewitnessbeauty.com. And you know what else you could do if you've already done those things? You could send a link to any of your friends that you think might like our show. That would be really helpful. Let me tell you who we're produced by. We are produced by Jessamine Molly of Seaplane Armada. Our art is by Simon Abronowitz, and our theme music is by Danny Prezant. Our research assistance is provided by our friend Alicia Bansell. And we will be back next week with another brand new episode, so we will talk to you then. And with that, I bid you adieu. Adieu.